Welcome to the Jerusalem Lights Podcast with Rabbi Chaim Richman, whose goal is Torah for everyone. I'm your co-host, Jim Long, and now, Rabbi Chaim Richman. Shalom Aleichem. Hey there, Jim. How are you? Doing fine. Doing fine, Rabbi. Shalom to you and to all of our listeners, and welcome into another exciting episode, as we used to say back in the old days of when it was radio, to the Jerusalem Lights Podcast. And many, many things are going to plague us during this talk today, aren't they? Ouch. Ouch. It certainly is exciting because we are uh, beginning the story of the redemption. And the interesting thing about the Exodus from Egypt, uh, first of all, it's such a central theme of Torah. It's so, it's so powerfully, uh, repetitively ingrained on so many aspects of our lives as a, as a central um, beacon of, of uh, Hashem's presence in the world. That's, that's one thing. Another thing is that it's only as great as it was, the Exodus, it's only a shadow of the future redemption, which is going to be considered to be uh, the complete and ultimate redemption. Because actually, even though it's wonderful that we left Egypt, the truth is that the, that the, ex, that the redemption, the Geula from Egypt is, it was kind of like a temporary thing. In other words, it changed the world. It absolutely changed the world, but it's still not the real thing. The real thing is when the whole world will be able to totally divest itself of all the pharaohs, of all the authoritarian deniers of Hashem's presence and, and unites. And, and, and so this is a process. It's a process. It's, a, it's a, a, a microcosm of every person's life. We're all dealing with the themes of the Egyptian exile and, and redemption all the time, every single day. And I, and I want to say something, Jim, also, you know, I wanted to mention this last week, and I don't think we did. There's something really, really remarkable at the end of last week's Torah portion of Shemot. You know, uh, Moshe comes to Pharaoh, and uh, of course, they knew each other. They had a, a real solid relationship because uh, Moshe was raised in Pharaoh's house, and um, you know, so now he now he gets his mission though to go and 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 tell Pharaoh that. Uh, Hashem wants uh, his people to be taken out, send my uh, send out my people that they may celebrate for me in the wilderness. And of course he says, who is Hashem that I should heed his voice to send out Israel? I do not know Hashem, nor will I send out Israel. And then he gets onto this whole kick where it's like, you, you, you're just lazy, so I'm not giving them straw anymore because uh, you got to make the same amount of bricks. You're just lazy. And then he says this unbelievable thing. He says, let us, he says, they're lazy. Therefore, they cry out saying, let us go and bring offerings to our God. Let the work be heavier upon the men and let them engage in it and let them not pay attention to false words. And this is such an amazing verse because basically, I think in, in all of Torah, at least the first time, this is the um, source of the whole concept of false news. Because Pharaoh is like, don't don't pay any attention to them. To you know, he's saying to the people, don't pay don't don't pay any attention to Moshe and Aaron. Don't don't pay attention to false words. Fake news. In, in other words, yeah. they're telling you <laughs> fake news. Pharaoh, who is the very essence of fake, mm -hmm. fake everything, fake 
God, fake everything, right? He's saying, no, 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 don't, don't look at them. They're, they're, they're telling you a, a false narrative. If you want the narrative, listen to me. I'll tell you the narrative. And, and this is so striking to me, like this, this leader who, who Hashem tells Moshe, when it's time to bring the, the plague of, of blood into the world, Hashem tells Moshe to go and meet Pharaoh by the river that morning. And everybody knows why. Everybody that's been learning Torah for a while knows. But for the benefit of our listeners that love, would love to hear it again, and for our new listeners, I will remind everybody that when Hashem told Moshe to go, he says, it's in chapter 7, he says, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. He refuses to send the people. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. Behold, he goes out to the water and you shall stand opposite him him at the river's bank and the staff that was turned into a snake. You shall take in your hand. Hashem tells Moshe to go and meet Pharaoh early in the morning by the river because Pharaoh used to get up early, take care of his personal needs at the river. So he is a god. That's right. Don't urinate. So he goes down to the river and then I guess the rest of the day, he must've been squirming around. He must've been holding <laughs> it in. But the point is Hashem tells Moshe, meet him by, by the river. So he is, he is a God and he is the authority. So I'll tell you what to believe. Don't listen to them. And that fake news that there's a God, that there's Hashem, that I don't even know who he is and he's going to, and he's going to take you out of here. And so it's so amazing because it's, it's so real for right now for this crazy world that we live in it's a world of denial it's a world of authoritarians it's a world of everybody telling us what to believe what's true what the narrative is and if you go against the narrative you're bogus you're canceled you're you're peddling dangerous misinformation Mm -hmm. if you go against the narrative and so and so uh what happened was Hashem decided to do something completely different. And now for something completely different. Look at how quickly atheism has become fashionable in our day and age, just, just in the last 50, 60 years. So it's no surprise that by the time that Moses arrives on the scene and the Pharaoh says, I, I've never heard of your God the situation that was set up with Joseph's death and then with the death of Levi, that's when it really began. And these people, right, because as we mentioned during the entire period yeah. that to any of the, any of the brothers were still alive, the servitude had not yet begun. So last week in, in the portion of Shemot, uh, when <clears throat> Hashem had his first meeting with Moshe, as it were, we talked about in, in our video, we talked about this unusual statement that Hashem made to Moshe, I shall be as I shall be. Yeah. And that incredible expression, and how uh, Hashem's name is literally the name of existence altogether. And Hashem is existence. Not only did he will existence into being, but he is, he is reality. And so Pharaoh is in a, in a total klipa of this, of this, uh, you know, other side of the, literally now I see why, why it's referred to as the other side on a mystical sense. If you don't believe in Hashem, because it's like, he is literally in this dark place. It's like a negative image. It's like the, the, uh, the inside out to say from there, no, he doesn't exist when he is all of reality. The thing is, um, and and that, that's just so powerful. That whole thought about Hashem's name is just so amazing and life changing for us to understand that. But it it's 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 going to be applied now in the whole concept of 
the plagues and Hashem's process of taking Israel out of Egypt, at the end of last week's Torah portion, it, it ends on a on a on a note um, of of a um, you know what happened was uh, the the um, the four men uh, saw them in distress and and they encountered Moshe and Aaron and they said, "What have you done to us? You know, may Hashem judge you because you've made our very scent abhorrent in the eyes of Pharaoh." And then Moshe turns to Hashem and says, "Why have you done this? From the time that you sent me, things have gotten worse and not better." And then Hashem, this is these are the concluding words of Parshat Shemot. Hashem said to Moshe, "Now you'll see what I shall do to Pharaoh. For through a strong hand he will he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out from his land." And then our portion this week, beginning in Exodus chapter six and verse two, Parshat Vaera continues with this theme of the name change, right? Because, because God spoke to Moshe and said to him, I am Hashem. And I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai. They didn't know this name. I didn't make this name known to them. And, you know, again, we, we spoke about last week about what that means, because, because the other names like El Shaddai, they're the other kind of nicknames, they, they represent uh, Hashem's manifestation in, in the world. And, and the forefathers never had a question like this. The forefathers accepted everything that Hashem said. And Moshe comes along and, he's, and he confronts Hashem and he says, what's going on? You, to you told me that everything is going to get better. And since I've, I've come on the scene, everything is only, is only getting worse. And so now Hashem is explaining, well, but you see, my name is Hashem. And everything is is going to be different now. And he and here he he gives the promise, and he uses these what's called the four expressions of redemption. He says, he says, um, say to the children of Israel, I am Hashem, and I shall take you out from under the burdens of Egypt. I shall rescue you. I shall take you. I shall bring you. Um, the interesting thing is, if you open up your heart in the deepest way for a minute, and you go back all the way, this is this is this is you know a, a tremendous <clears throat> process that's going on now. And it's going to, the culmination is going to be at Mount Sinai. That was the point all along, right? Was to bring this nation to the, to the mountain, to give them the Torah, to bring the Torah into the world for them to uplift all of, all of humanity, right? But when it came to Abraham and to Isaac and, and to Jacob, Hashem never really told them what his plan was. He told them he's, that, that they're going to, um, you know, have, um, children and the children are going to be blessing into the world and they're going to inherit the land. But there's one thing that he never told them. He never spelled it out as he does now. And you know what that is? It's, it's really amazing. It's really amazing. And it's the answer to, 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 to Moshe's question. Moshe asked a question. This is how he, we concluded last week's talk where she said, why, what is it really all about? What are you doing? What, what is your plan? And until now, it was it was one thing, but now that I have come and I've started talking about the children of Israel being delivered, things have only gotten bad. And so the answer to that question is found right here. Hashem tells Moshe something that he never told Avraham Yitzchak and Yaakov. He says, "I shall take you to me for a people, and I shall be a god to you, and you shall know that I am Hashem, your God, who takes you out from under the burdens of Egypt." He says, you're going to be for me an Am, and I'm going to be for you an Elohim. You do realize that he never said to the forefathers, I'm going to make you into a nation. He never, he never really said that. The way he's saying it now, he's saying to Moshe, this is the plan. I'm going to make you into my nation. Mm -hmm. 
And this is um, also the reason why in the, 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 when, when Moshe first showed the signs to the children of Israel in Parshat Shemot, they believed him. And they were very, they were very overwhelmed and they, and they prostrated themselves and they believed him. But now already they're, they're, they didn't listen. Now we, now we read, so Moshe spoke accordingly to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moshe because of shortness of breath and hard work. How come now they didn't hear? But before they did hear, and I think that the reason is because now Moshe is telling them in the midst of all the travail that they're going through and all the turmoil and all the death and, and all the terrible servitude, he's telling you, you know, is going to make you into a nation. And they weren't really, really weren't really ready to hear it yet. Yeah. It was the furthest thing from, from, from their mind. And then at Mount Sinai, that's when they became a, a nation. And that's when the covenant was really sealed yeah. with Israel. But they, they weren't really ready to hear it now. But the, but the only reason, this is really amazing, the only reason Hashem told Moshe now is because he asked. In other words, he, Moshe, this is the answer to Moshe's question. But this is why they, they were not able to hear it now. And they were only able to hear it at, at Mount Sinai. Yeah. What what is the what is the difference in character? Uh, because uh, Hashem does tell Avraham, "I will make of you a great um at the covenant of the pieces." And so, when when is the difference is that is that he didn't reveal. He didn't add that extra layer by revealing that name that, that no one has heard up until now. That that's that's one thing. But I I meant that he here he says I shall take you to me for a people. Ah, right. Okay. I'm not just creating a people. Yeah. You're going to be my people with a, with a special mission. Yeah. And and the reason that this is so important also uh, in an, in another way is because. I know that you and I go on about this a lot, but it's so true and it's so important. The fact is that it's about being a people and not about being a religion. Right, exactly. I, it's I'm just... about being a people. It's a, it's a people that have a, a, a heritage and a lineage. It's a people that other people can join, mm -hmm. but it's a people. It's a nation. It's not about being a religion. And the difference is so remarkable. And, it, yeah. and there are such tremendous... Um, ramifications to this question yeah because if as you know because if if all it is is the jewish faith the jewish religion it's it's portable you can practice it anywhere it's it it it, it has a completely different connotation if if we're talking about ritual we're talking about observance we're talking about uh, a set of rules that's one thing you can do it anywhere you can pack it in your carry-on and you can do it anywhere but if you if you are a nation the the uh, characteristic mm -hmm. of a nation is that a nation has a land. A nation a has land. a land. A exactly. Has a language. A nation has has a a way of life, and and it's the it's this inexorable bond between the land of Israel and the Torah of Israel and the people of Israel that Hashem is already, uh, um, you know, leading to already at this point. What finally began to delineate and to open up the Torah for me as a non-Jew was I understood that these were laws, these are laws given to a specific nation. And if I would understand that, I would understand how they apply to me. One of the main purposes of creating the Jewish nation of Israel is that they're a model for all nations. It's a model for us 
on how to live our lives. You're putting a heavy burden on a, a non-Jewish person by saying that you need to observe all of these laws. There's also this idea that non-Jews can observe more than the seven. Oh, I'm not saying well. that. That's, I'm that's not more so, complicated. I, no, what I'm saying is, is that, that, that Hashem does not require a non-Jew to keep the Shabbat, for instance. And it's not that we can't honor the Shabbat, which I do. It's my day off. But I, I don't have to observe it in the very specific way that you are commanded to keep it. Listen, the, 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 the Torah is based on uh, an experience of a covenant. Right. Unquestionably. It's about doing. It's not an armchair philosophy. It's not about speculation. It's about doing. That's no question about that, that that is a foundation of, of Torah. And in order to truly experience an, a, a, a relationship with Hashem, it's about our responsibility and obligation. And we all have responsibility and obligation, Jews and non-Jews. And there's no question about that. But the thing is, it's, it's, it's beyond the concept of law. If you look at the whole story of the exile and the and the redemption from Egypt that we're talking about now, Hashem begins to say something in this week's Torah portion, and He says it so many times throughout. And it's about knowing. He says He wants He wants Pharaoh and Egypt to know that He is God, because Pharaoh said He doesn't know. So the mm -hmm. experience of of Torah for for a non-Jew, as it is for a Jew, mm -hmm. is first and foremost to be able to know who Hashem is, that there's a God in the world. The, the, the concept of the mitzvot that we take upon ourselves, that we're obligated to observe, has to do with our relationship with Him, has to do with our responsibility to, to uplift the world. It has to do with our living according to a certain uh, um, set of rules, because that's what it is to be a human being. Mm -hmm. But the but the universality of Torah is about under, the the knowledge and the understanding that it, that it imparts of what it means to have a relationship with the one true God, the Creator. God basically gave the nation of Israel the job of keeping alive the knowledge of Hashem in the world and teaching. You know, if if I would say to anybody tuning in for the first time today, if you want to know about God, the the uh, the Torah it has is the instruction manual. And it is the revelation of, of God uh, to a, a nation, a nation, by the way, which he calls his firstborn. I, I love the verse in chapter four where Hashem tells uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, he says, you go tell Pharaoh that Israel is my firstborn son. People think I'm trying to tell them not to read the Torah or not to study Torah or not to try to, to build a relationship with Hashem through what they've learned about the Torah. But uh, what, what I'm saying is, if you want the job of being this nation that was created with a very specific task of being a priesthood to the planet, then you need to, you need to learn to live like a priest and make it official by joining this nation. The rabbis generally will turn a person away three times because it's their way of saying, do you really understand the responsibility that you're taking on? And that's what we're talking about today is we're talking about the responsibility that th these people who are in bondage are about to take on. But the main thing that, that, that you know, Noahites have to know is that Hashem has a relationship with every soul. Every precious soul has a part to do with the whole 
fabric of creation and the whole plan of, of redemption, every, every person plays a role. Every person has a job to do and every person is able to uh, find Hashem in their, in their own life. And the sages make it very clear that a, that a non-Jew who studies Torah also can reach the level of the high priest in the Holy Temple spiritually yeah. as well. Yeah, the Rambam even so says the, that. The, 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 the question is, you know, what is the proper approach for every person in their particular situation but the but the but the uh, the main thing is to uh, to attach ourselves to Hashem as much as we can so this partial begins begins the whole concept of Hashem basically shaking up the whole world we have here um, the first seven of the plagues that are visited on Egypt really the best definition for them is not is not plagues but strikes actually. strikes they're called makot and there's and they are they are strikes beginning with the first one which is when Aaron strikes the river with his staff and all the water in Egypt turns to blood and and the the whole idea here basically is like when you have someone like pharaoh who is so totally entrenched in his own ideology of denial and everything is is fake and everything is basically sleight of hand and illusions the world has to be shaken up the world has to be has to be basically pulled out from under his feet like you're pulling a carpet out from under his feet because as far as he was concerned again you know Hashem telling Moshe go and meet him by the water you'll find him there all right <laughs> because he's taking care of himself and while he's pretending to be a god and then the the haftarah the prophetic reading for this shabbat comes from the book of ezekiel and there's this, this amazing um, description of, of Pharaoh that Hashem gives over to the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 29, where he says, Son of man, direct your face towards Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and prophesy concerning him and concerning all of Egypt. Speak and say, thus said Hashem Elohim, behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great serpent that crouches within its waters, who has said, mine is my river, and I have made myself. And this is this is the whole thing about Pharaoh, is that he basically said that he was like the god of the Nile, that he created the Nile, and, and the verse in Ezekiel talk, calls him the great serpent, the great, he's the great alligator, like crouching in, in his make-believe world of, of the Nile. And so Hashem now is shaking up this world, right? So the first plague, first strike, right, blood, Every fish dies, every drop of water in Egypt, even the minute amounts in, in the sticks and stones turns to blood. And simultaneously, at the same time, for Israelites, the very same water remains uh, water. And I and, um, always wondered, what kind of blood was it? And you know that it was human blood. It was blood, yeah. yeah. It was human blood. The word is dumb. And, and it's like... It's like um, if you look at, at the, the whole concept of the progression of the 10 plagues, it's, it's almost like the 10 utterances with which Hashem created the world backwards. Mm -hmm. So, so for, for the last thing that was created when Hashem created the world was Adam. And so the first plague is the plague of blood. It's like he's unraveling all of, all of existence now. And there's, there's so many insights that the sages have about the peculiarities and the particulars of, of the, um, how, you know, how, a Jew would be standing next to an Egyptian and they would be taking water from the same source. And for the Jew, it was water. And uh, the whole idea of um, the frogs, 
you know, uh, frogs, what that represents exactly, kind of um, in between uh, amphibians and, and other animals, they, how they come out of the water, converge on the Egyptians in their clothes, in their houses, in their beds, and in their ovens. And, Hashem, and Pharaoh presses Moshe and Aaron to pray to Hashem to stop the plague. And then, and then they stop, and he continues to harden his heart. Don't forget the noise of the plague of the frogs. The sages tell us that the, the noise of the frogs filled the land. And what uh, we should also remember is that each of these plagues, the re one of the reasons they're called strikes is they were a strike against an Egyptian, a specific Egyptian god. And there was a there was an Egyptian god that was a frog. It was called Heket. It was a strike against the god that eased Egyptian women through the process of, of giving birth to a child. Again, Hashem is showing his his power over the elements, but he's showing that he has superiority over the so-called gods. Also, that was part of that was part of uh, the, of his whole plan. He said it was it was about ex exacting um, justice against the gods. People have the impression when studying the, this whole parsha and the whole concept of the of the story of Egypt, they have the impression that it was about punishment. You know that it, the plagues were visited upon Pharaoh in Egypt as punishment for mistreating Israel. But that's not really the case because preceding the first plague, that of blood, Hashem himself declares, I think it's chapter 7, verse 17, through this shall you know that I am Hashem. It's not about Pharaoh's refusal. It's about his rejection and dismissal of Hashem. And the primary goal of all of this was to demonstrate God's power, his unparalleled power, not for punishment, not for convincing, but for knowledge. It's a level of knowledge. And that, and then it 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 works according to these levels. The, the first plague was the turning of water to blood, because Pharaoh and the Egyptians worshipped the Nile. And and again, Pharaoh himself said he was, as it were, the embodiment of the Nile. He created the Nile. And there's a whole idea also about about um, you know, um, Pharaoh basically first 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 Moshe stressed that Hashem is the primary cause. Who, him, who himself is like the reason for existence. And, and what did Pharaoh say? He said, he said, I don't know who Hashem. And, and Moshe insisted that Hashem exercises his providence over, over everything, over all the ways of men, and, and that each person is repaid according to their actions. And Pharaoh denied this by saying, who is Hashem? And Moshe emphasized that, that um, Hashem can change nature and renew and change every detail according to his will. Which, by the way, again, the, the, the whole beauty of the of the four-letter name that we talked about in last week's parsha of the name of existence, that that name really means that Hashem is constantly, constantly, not renewing, but 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 creating everything simultaneously, all at once. It's He is to, the total power of constant. Existence, the the constant now, the constant moment of of now, and that's why Hashem said, "I shall be what I shall be," because it's a it's a constant revelation of Hashem's presence through everything. And no. Pharaoh was like, "Who is Hashem that I should heed His voice?" Meaning, what He doesn't hold any power over me that I have to submit before Him or or hear His voice. And so, there's this idea that the plagues came in a certain order, according to these points, because the first three proved 
served to prove to him the existence of God. The second three demonstrated that this is God who supervises and controls all of reality. And the third three were to show that Hashem could change anything according to his will. Yeah. Right after the first two, uh, the the power of the magicians, the, the Hartumim, was suddenly revealed to be completely bogus because the Egyptians were told tried to duplicate the plagues and they were able to duplicate the first two they tried to do they and of course they did it through trickery again it was fake news <laughs> they were able to duplicate the plague of the blood and also the plague of the frogs but with the plague of lice they couldn't do that one and so there that's own, why they said it's the finger of god yes the finger when it, of when it came to that one because it was it was only their manipulation of forces and their sleight of hand and their and their ability to create some sort of smokescreen that they were actually able to imitate the first two plagues. But that was just basically a matter of transforming a pre-existing substance. They were, they were professional conjurers is what they right. were, Jim. They were just basically good at mirroring reality. So if, if Moshe and Aaron were able to create a new reality, I mean, it was Hashem that was changing reality. So then they just mirrored what they already did, but they were not capable of creating a new reality. And thus they failed in, in their attempts to replicate this plague because, because according to our sages, it was so small, but that's why they said it was, it was the finger of God. But it was, but the truth is that God empowered Moshe and Aaron to draw, to change the water into blood and to draw frogs from the water. But, but only Hashem, who is the true creator of the world can create something new. And it was such a small thing. <laughs> the lice was such a small thing. And it was like the, the frogs were pulled from the elemental, elemental building blocks of the water. The water changed to blood, but Hashem created these lice and the, and the and magicians were not able to replicate that. And that persuaded Pharaoh that, okay, these plagues are a true manifestation of the power of, uh, of the God of Israel. But by then it was already, Pharaoh's heart was strong and he did not heed them just as Hashem, uh, just as Hashem had spoken. This whole idea of um, the Egyptian experience, the, I, I mean, like I said, this is the first time now that Hashem is telling Moshe, I am going to create you into a nation and I'm going to take you as my nation. Why did we have to, why did it have to be born in Egypt? Why, I mean, why, why was it necessary this whole stage <laughs> why couldn't why couldn't the nation have begun you know with Avraham Yitzchak and Yaakov's children in the land of Israel happily ever after why why is this such an indelible you know part of the experience this tremendous suffering and again I think we spoke about this last week there's no way to understate the unbelievable level of 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 horror of suffering that the Egyptian yeah. experience was the, the the bondage, the the murder of the children, and this whole this whole uh, you know idea, the the iconography in, in in Torah thought of the Egyptian experience is of such tremendous importance that it's actually a mitzvah, a positive commandment for a Jew to remember it every single day. You know that there's this idea, Jim. You you can see it in the Siddur. In the, in the in the end of the morning services, and I think there's something called six remembrances. Yeah, and the six remembrances are actually um, it's a positive commandment. There are six ideas that Torah commands a person to remember every day. 
And it's preferably fulfilled, the, the mitzvah is preferably fulfilled by actually reciting the Torah verses, like sitting and reciting the Torah verses uh, that relate to these topics. Uh, and there are those that are scrupulously observant that, that um, say these verses, like I say, at the end, end of every morning service. But the idea is that this is a, is a commandment of Hashem that actually can be, be fulfilled just in our thought. Just by remembering these six things, these concepts are so pivotal that Torah commands us to remember them forever. And, uh, and they're fulfilled without action, except for the recitation, just simply by, by remembering. And the first of these six things, the first item on the list is the remembrance of the exodus from Egypt. And, and indeed, this is the verse in Deuteronomy 16.3. Remember the day when you left Egypt all the days of your life. Because Hashem's redemption of Israel from the Egyptian bondage, meaning both physical and spiritual, was so pivotal that it changed everything. Every morning and evening, it's it's part of the order of the Shema prayers and the Kiddush that we make on Shabbat, sanctifying the Sabbath, the most important moment of the week, when we usher in Shabbat, even Shabbat itself, we say, is a remembrance of leaving Egypt. Mm -hmm which is just so unbelievable. How could, what does one thing have to do with another? I mean, Hashem created the world in six days and that's what Shabbat is a celebration of. And then, and that's why are we mentioning the Exodus from Egypt in the Kiddush over the wine when we sanctify, you know, the arrival of Shabbat every week. There, there, why? Yeah, there, I was, go because, ahead. Yeah. Because the world saw it. Yeah. And this is the this is the intention of the sages when they say a deep statement that sounds a little whimsical, but they say that when the sea split, every body of water in the world split. Right. Yeah. And didn't Yitro come and say that I heard about all of these things? I heard about the sea sea splitting. I heard about Amalek. The whole world knew about it. Amalek heard I mean, about it. it. Even yes. Amalek heard about it. Yes. Yeah. And this is what changed the world. This is this is this is why the Yitziat Mitzrayim, the Exodus from Egypt, is inexorably bound up even kind of like as a factor in the, in the idea that on Shabbat, we uh, relive the creation of the world. We don't just yeah. commemorate that Hashem once created the world long ago, because, because what does the Egyptian experience teach us? That he's still in the world, in other words, and that, and that he is master. Because there are some people that might say, okay, I believe that God created the world long ago. It's nice you want to have a Sabbath. That's, that's sweet. And I believe Hashem created the world, but what does, he have to, what does it have to do with now? The Egyptian experience is about recognizing Hashem and believing in him and, and understanding that he, his, he transcends everything, that, that, that the miracles of the Exodus are... An acknowledgement that Hashem is running the world. He's running my world right now. And this is the whole bridge to the idea that the redemption from uh, in the future will outshine all of the miracles of the Exodus from Egypt, right? That prophet Micha, chapter 7 and verse 15, that as in the days of your Exodus from the lands of Egypt, I will show him wonders. And, uh, and, so, and so the, the concept is that this totally changed everything forever. If you look at the classic writers who, like Hecateus, there were storms, there were comets. You could even liken it to the birth pangs of, of a new age. Nothing like this had ever been heard of. Before. Exactly. The verse says when Moshe does his review in, in Sefer Devarim, and he says, did anybody ever see such a thing that, has, that, that a God should come and take a nation from the midst of another nation with signs and with wonders? And then you, you stood at the mountain and you, and you heard Hashem's voice and you saw the mountain in fire? 
this this was a tremendous uh, upheaval of the whole world. Yeah, yeah, and, and the, even even the which we'll touch on in a moment. In a moment, even the Egyptians remember this time, and they characterize it as the destruction of mankind. The polar opposite view, right there. I just want to add this one thought because I, I, that I didn't finish, um, Jim. Um, I, I asked a question: Why, why did we have to be born as a nation in Egypt? Why well, couldn't we just have skipped skipped this? As as important as it is to mm-hmm. show to show to the whole world that Hashem is is um, is in control and and, and constantly uh, renews all of reality, but couldn't that have been done without the the suffering without the bondage, what what did we gain from being, from going through this experience? One, it's a fulfillment of prophecy, first of all, uh, that it was told to Avraham Avinu at the covenant of the pieces. Secondly, the people of Israel to become a nation, they had to be in what the sages characterized as the melting pot, not even a melting pot, they were in Smelting, a, smel- a yeah, refinement. It was they were a, refinement. It was like a, Exactly. They had to. They had to go through that experience. So, in order be, to be, to prepare them to receive the Torah, they had they had to, they had to confront this yeah. this kind it's of char- it's, it's you could call it character building. It is is you could, it, call, you could call it that, but on a deeper level, on a yeah. deeper level, and this is so important for everyone to know because we're all going through our own exile all the time. We're still yeah. in exile. And and this whole Egyptian experience is a template for all time. We mentioned this last week. And the idea is that when we are in a, in a dark place, when we are in a place where we're crying out for Hashem and looking for Hashem, and where is he? And we're going through all the things that we're going through. And we're thinking that he's abandoned us. And we're thinking that the concealment is so great. The truth is that this is Hashem preparing us for for an even greater light, for an even greater revelation. And it's so important for people to know this is the pattern. This is, this is how Hashem deals with us, is that He brings us to a, a place where we really have to search for Him. We really have to come to grips with our own dark places. Mm-hmm. And it's only for the purpose of bringing us up even higher. It's only a test. It's only a part of all of the things that we have to go through in order to become the people that we need to be. Yeah. And so the, this is the, the, the whole plan of, uh, uh, but it's all in chesed. It's all in love. It's all in Hashem's compassion for the soul of a person to develop as best as, as can be, as, as can be. The plagues weren't just for the Egyptians. It was also to awaken and renew belief in Hashem among among the 12 tribes and because they had fallen into such a state of secularism except for the tribe of Levi and and they had gotten into this doldrums but the other thing is the 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 land which is always always shown as being very vital you can't be a nation unless you have a land what's the question that Avraham Avinu asked right before he's given that vision of the the exile. What does he say? He says, "How will I know, will I know? that right. this will land know? will belong to to my offspring, to my seed?" Hashem's response is, "Go get five kosher animals and offer them." And then, as he does it, the response is, "This is what will happen to your your descendants." They will go into a land that's not theirs. They will be subjected to servitude and they will come out with great wealth. So the fact that if they had not even gone through that, 
there would not have been a nation in the land of Israel. It does tie them to the land itself. So, Jim, tell me about the Egyptian perspective of all of this. There must be historical record. There must be some incredible, uh, if it was such an upheaval on, that mm-hmm. was felt even on a global level, I'm wondering if the, if the um, Egyptian um, historical record reflects, I don't know, reflects these plagues, reflects the, the exodus, reflects the turmoil that the land must have been in. It does, because uh, people who have been listening to our podcast uh, since its inception know that I often in, invoke the, um, the Ippor papyrus, and I'm not going to talk about it that much today, but I want to remind anybody who's new that in the museum in Leiden, in the Netherlands, we have a, a papyrus, a papyrus that was discovered in the 1860s at Saqqara, and it was then translated by one of the foremost Egyptologists, uh, one of the founders, really, of, of Egyptology. The Ipper papyrus, according to its translator, was written at the end of the Old Kingdom period. This is written by an Egyptian uh, sage named Ipperwer, who was speaking of the aftermath of these this list of woes, of this chaos that tore Egypt apart and plunged it into a period of, of, of darkness. For instance, uh, God instructs Moses uh, in Exodus 4.9, take some water from the Nile and spill it on the ground, and the water that you will take from the Nile will turn to blood on the ground. And in Ippower, it says, behold, this is in verse 7, uh, 4, this is in Ippower, behold, Egypt is poured out like water. He who poured water on the ground has captured the strong man in misery. Uh, in in, in uh, verse 2.10, forsooth, our river is blood. Uh, uh, 2.6 from Ippower, plague is throughout the, the land. Blood is everywhere. You know, we talked about the, um, the noise that accompanied the plague of frogs. Uh, uh, in Ippower, it says, oh, that the earth would cease from noise and there be no more tumult. Uh, the plague of hail, which was one of the plagues that we talk about uh, in, in the Exodus. It says in, in Ippower, forsooth, gates, columns, and walls are consumed by fire, while the king's palace stands firm. Trees are destroyed. Uh, we come up on the, bl- the so plague. So amazing, of- because the sages tell us that it was flaming hail. Yes, exactly. The sages tell us that, 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 um, that it was ice with a core of burning fire. Right. Which, of course, is, is the whole idea is that it's the union of two opposing natural powers to do Hashem's will. Yeah. We have the plague uh, and, of, and that's why the verse, yeah. there, the verse states, such as never has been seen in the land of Egypt from the time it became a, a nation. We have the, the plague oh, of boils. Amazing. It says, uh, forsooth, uh, hair has fallen out of everyone. If you know anything about the medical condition that, that generally was called boils or called, I forget what the, what the proper term is, often they're, they're, they're concentrated around hair follicles and the hair will fall out. And so there is this that says that forsooth, hair has fallen out. Forsooth, animals, their hearts weep, cattle moan because of the state of the land. But the other thing that I want to talk about, a piece of evidence that I hadn't known about when I initially did my book, and in southern Egypt, in the Valley of the Kings, within the the tomb of King Seti, and King Seti, in, in our determination, would have been a king who lived long after the Exodus experience. And in his tomb is a, a wall. It, it, the, the wall is a, 
a relief of a giant cow and under it are small beings that are adoring the cow and there is a, a lengthy inscription that is is called by the translators it's called the destruction of mankind and in the destruction of mankind it tells of the egyptian nation had uh had left the ways of of their gods and they were punished by existence of another people among them that that became their enemies it begins with a blood plague, followed by a skin plague that nearly kills the pharaohs, and then an abnormal darkness that traps the army and the pharaoh and the royal palace. And as they head east to return to their enemy god, uh, they follow and they try to, they're going to slaughter the escapees. And finally, they're met with a splitting sea. The same inscription also mentions that the magicians of Egypt tried to uh, turn the Nile to blood by, by pouring dye into it. It also mentions this God who is called in the, when you translate the, the Egyptian, the God is called, I am that I am. Oh my goodness. This is so spellbinding. And yeah. tell me why, why does this inscription, why do you think it's, it's referred to as a destruction of mankind? Because the Egyptians who were, if nothing else, they, uh, you know, they were a world empire and they viewed themselves as whatever happened in Egypt it affected the whole world. The translators tell us that they are speaking of Egypt per se, not the world, but Egypt itself was going through these experiences. And, and so they basically viewed this as an extinction level event. Exactly. In my my documentary, I demonstrate with the thanks of a fellow uh, researcher uh, who has written his own book called Pharaoh. And his name is, is Alexander Hull. He's a, a scholar and a rabbi whose specialty is calendars and chronologies. He showed me that the end of the sixth dynasty, which is when the Emperor Papyrus was written, and it's describing how how and why the sixth dynasty ended. But what Rabbi Hul showed me is is that the what we call the sixth dynasty. Everybody has to forget these numbers because they're meaningless. First of all, it's this chronology was set up almost a century ago, and and it keeps changing. This 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 generally accepted chronology that scholars use they've 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 shortened by 3000 years so it's not written in stone why but is he, that because they're looking at several sources they're looking at manetho they're looking at the inscriptions in some of the tombs for instance the um there is the palermo stone there is the um the the Abydos table. So the scholars try to balance these dates with each other and try to is that what is that they always the try, they try, but to... they always try. But the problem is that they the, the the dates are always changing all the time, to the point where we have a whole new school of of Egyptologists who are in the minority who are called the new chronologers, and they're saying this chronology doesn't work. In fact, even in antiquity. Rabbi, some of the classic historians will tell you that this, first of all, if, if you're a believer in the Torah or the, or the, the Bible as a whole, it contradicts the, the, the Egyptian chronology completely contradicts the narrative found in the Torah. That is, they have the first Egyptian dynasty coming to power before the flood. 
And we know that's not possible. If you believe in the narrative found in the Torah, you know, we couldn't have Egypt until a, a figure known as Mitzrayim came along and founded the Egyptian empire. But I, I want to wrap all this up by, by pointing out that the uh, that what Alexander showed me is that the sixth dynasty also co-reigned with the 13th and the 18th dynasties. And th these are three families. One family was the main family that ruled in what we what they called Memphis, another on the eastern border and another on the southern border. And by the way, Egypt is so big, you'd need three different administrative centers to rule the entire country. The point being is the reason I'm bringing up these other these other families that helped rule this vast empire. One family was the the Tutmos family or or in Egyptian, the Hudimosh. King Tutmosis and his wife who later became a pharaoh, was she was called Hatshetsuf, and her nanny, their corpses, their mummies have been examined, and they've all been covered with boils. It's important to point out that the nanny also suffered from boils. It wasn't a family uh, malady. It was something external. So there's three different mummies that we have today that we can examine that were of a dynasty that my friend Alexander Hull says was also ruling at that time. They were co-ruling. Their, their, their mummies are covered with boils. Wow. I rest my case, Your Honor. So. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for providing all this amazing perspective. Jim, I want to bless all of our listeners with a wonderful last week of this month of Tevet. Next week already... We shall be ushering in Rosh Chodesh, the new moon of Shvat, month of renewal. That is actually going to be on Sunday night, Rosh Chodesh, Sunday night and Monday, the 3rd of January. And um, for those that are going to be celebrating the new year of, what's it going to be again? Uh, the, secular, the secular year? That's it's, the one. It's, it's going to be 2022. All right, so um, please behave responsibly, everyone. <laughs> and uh, see, when, when, when people celebrate Rosh Hashanah, I don't have to say that. I don't I know any, anyone, anyone to uh, lose themselves in utter abandon, unless it's to the sound of the shofar and to, and to sincere uh, prayer for the new year. But the, the style of observing the, the secular new year is completely different. Than, you know, uh, wild revelry goes on. Right. It does but we, actually have pagan, pagan origins. origins exactly. It. The time of the year and everything. Exactly. Very, very pagan. So, Jim, I want, to, I want to wish you and all of our listeners a, a wonderful week, a wonderful Shabbat, preparation for the incoming month of Shabbat next week. And may we truly merit, merit each of us to exit our own, our own exile, the general exile of the whole crazy world of denial. May Hashem truly shine forth and remind the whole world that He is here, that He is the Creator. And may the miracles of the upcoming redemption truly outshine those of the Egyptian experience so that the whole world is united in the true recognition and, and appreciation, acknowledgement, and thanks to Hashem, the Creator. Amen. Amen.